0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Kahoot. I want to ask you this morning, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Micah. Now, if you're familiar with the location of this, you can find it by going to Obadiah, Jonah, and Micah. And if you're working backwards, you can go to Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Nahum, and then you will find Micah. Either way, it might be difficult for you if your pages are stuck together. This particular series, I I started, uh, minus last Sunday, we were not gathering to worship. Uh, I do compliment Brother Justin for pulling out a Christmas archive and uh, showing that in our absence. He did a marvelous job with it. But the Sunday before that, we began our series entitled Longing for the Savior, and this particular Christmas season, I was really impressed of the Lord to do, or to take rather, an unconventional type of an approach to these Christmas messages that I wanted to bring to you, and so we did not typically go to the text in Matthew or Luke for the Cornerstone. I'll refer to some of that this morning. But I wanted to take this entire series from the Old Testament. And last Sunday, I would have preached from the book of Leviticus. And I I will definitely use that at another appointed time. But today, we're going to conclude longing for the Savior with this particular message, the Messiah has come. And uh, you will be, I think, utterly blessed to rehearse some of these Old Testament scriptures to see just how impacted they are with the prophetic message of the promised Messiah, that he would come. And so today we are speaking on the Messiah has come. And I'm going to be reading Uh, from the text in Micah chapter 5, verse number 2. And I will tell you this, that uh, I have heard um, the argument in the past where that the Old Testament no longer applies to us. But I remind you that the scripture says that all scripture is profitable. So whether we're in Genesis or Revelation, it's all profitable. It's all good. It's all the word of God. It never returns void. And so there is so much to see in these great Old Testament passages and they have blessed me for years and I want to somehow be a blessing and share them with you today. So here's the deal. I want you to look at the scripture here in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. It's a very precious scripture. And uh, it it has a a very special meaning to me and I think very applicable for uh, the series today, The Messiah Has Come. In Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, and we'll get these scriptures on the screen for you the best that we can uh, whenever we can. There we go. The scripture says this, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. The first thing that I want to talk about this morning in today's message in the Messiah has come, I want to look at the prophecies. Now, obviously, there's not an opportunity to rehearse all of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, but you may be enlightened to know that there are over 300, 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. That's how important the Old Testament is. In Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, is probably one of the many of the incredible Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. And here's the thing. I hope that you may write on your bulletin today or even in the passage of this scripture this morning because this prophecy was given 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. I want you to think about this. Not only is that significant, but also this prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, it gives us the exact, the prophetic exact location of where he would be born. The scripture says Bethlehem. By the way, Bethlehem means the house of bread. And in the New Testament, as we compare the Old Testament to the New Testament and see the many examples and the foreshadowings, in the New Testament, Jesus himself identified himself as the bread of life. Bethlehem means the house of bread. In John chapter 6, verse number 35, the word says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratha, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old and from everlasting. And so if you're curious, by the way, I want you to get this that Bethlehem is about five miles southwest of Jerusalem. Bethlehem was also the birthplace of King David. In fact, the scripture says this in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 12. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah. I'm not going to read the rest of it. We'll save time for the message. But you get the idea in the first portion of 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 12. Now, again, let me emphasize something. 700 years before the birth of Christ, Micah gives us this prophecy. I want you to understand that Micah's prophecy said that the Messiah would be coming from eternity. That's important. And I want you to look at the latter part of verse number two in the prophecy. Who's going forth, Micah chapter five, verse two, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Now, I want you to see this. Moses said in Psalms chapter 90, verse number two, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth, And the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And so from the very beginning of scriptures, the first prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, and we've already talked about this in the first message of this particular series, you can find it in Genesis chapter three and verse number 15. In fact, I will reiterate this, that the Bible is engulfed with prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. And we've been looking at and we're looking at today what the Old Testament has to say about the coming of Jesus and what his mission would be when he got here. There's a scripture where Jesus referenced his mission in Luke chapter 24 in verse number 44, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled. Look at this carefully, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And so when the people were curious about Jesus, the Messiah, he would oftentimes point them back to the Old Testament. And we find that to be true today. And so in Genesis, we're giving the promise of someone who was coming to rescue the human race from sin. And that was Jesus, the Messiah. Let me walk you through this just a little bit. And if there is a place to make footnotes, within your Bible margin or on your bulletin itself, you might be interested in this and write this down because there was so much to see in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. In Genesis 3, we're giving the first promise of the Savior, Genesis three fifteen. In Exodus chapter 12, we're given the incredible foreshadowing of God's judgment over us to him. That's important. Exodus chapter 12. In Leviticus chapter 16, and I would have brought this out last Sunday in detail, but in Leviticus chapter 16, we're given the incredible picture of the Lamb that was to take away the sin. In Numbers chapter 21, we see an amazing comparison to the cross of Jesus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And then we come to the book of Deuteronomy. And the people at this point, after everything that has been done thus far, the people seem to be getting away from the message. They seem to be distancing themselves from the prophecies. After everything from the beginning... The scriptures teach us that they become restless, they become discontent, they become anxious. And then they become hopeful with with an expectation over wrong things. And so let me say this, that if you ever thought people in your family were complicated, you just take time to read a little bit about the children of Israel. I mean, these people are just barely out of Egypt when they begin to accuse God and Moses for bringing them out of Egypt. And just they thought in their minds that God and Moses had led them out of that wilderness place of the Egyptian palace and the days of slavery just to be killed out in the land of nowhere. Nowhere. And so they were getting restless and furious with God and Moses. And so in the middle of their complaining, God does again the impossible right before their very eyes. What he does in the midst of their complaining, he brings them out of the Red Sea. In the midst of their complaining, and though they still doubted him at these portions of times, they begin to complain about food falling from Hannah, from heaven, manna falling from heaven. They were complaining about this. So, Lord, we've had too much manna. We don't want this stuff anymore. And they begin to cry out for meat. And so in their complaining and crying out to God, the Lord says, well, if that's the story, then I'm going to give you so much meat, it's going to be coming out of your nose. And so he changes the menu just a little bit. So he not only delivers them from the Red Sea in their complaining and whining, he not only gives them the meat in their whining and complaining, he also gives them water from the rock. And then on top of all of these things that God has done for them, he defeats all of their enemies when they're too tired to fight. And after all of this that God does for them, they are still not satisfied. They are so consumed with misery. All he want to do is to go back to Egypt where they were slaves for 450 years. Now, number two, I want you to look at this. On your outline today, I've entitled this Somewhere in Between. Because at this point of the story, the Christmas message of this season, the children of Israel are somewhere between an awareness of the past and the promise of the future. And they continue to struggle. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years and they're tired and they just want to get to the promised land. At one point, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Now they have changed cycles just a little bit. Now all they're interested in and all they're consumed is getting to the promised land. But I believe they think that when they get to the promised land, there's no doubt in my mind that as they rehearsed all of their difficulties standing on the banks of the Red Sea and looking at all of these traumatic circumstances, they really actually thought that life would be better back in Egypt, making bricks out of straw living under Pharaoh's bondage, they thought life would be much easier there than the place where God had put them. But now they press through the storm a little bit, and now all they have in their mind is they want to get to the promised land because they also believe that when they get to the promised land that they're going to be happy and free from all of their burdens, troubles, and cares. They thought that was going to happen going back to Egypt. Now they're looking at the promised land and they're saying, if we can just get to Canaan, we just get there. We know that all of our burdens and all of our troubles are going to be over. But as Moses is facing his death, he warns them. He says, keep your eyes on God, not circumstances. Now, I have inserted in your bulletin today scriptures in Deuteronomy chapter 9 through 14. Obviously, I'm not going to read all those chapters and verses for you today, but I do have it for you for reference. And if you go back sometime this afternoon or sometime this week and reread this, those particular chapters would be very interesting for you. Once again, the children of Israel got off of the path. They felt like that when Moses died, that they should ultimately have a king just like everybody else had. But just as before, that didn't start out as well as they had anticipated. They turned to other gods. They sold themselves back into slavery. They embraced a pagan nation And when you stop and think about it, it was one heartache after another, one repetitious downslide, if you will, after another. But here's the thing. In spite of all of this cycle of trouble, ups and downs, disappointments, victories, and setbacks, there was always, always a prophet that kept reminding them that the Messiah was coming. God never left his people from the beginning, all throughout these periods of disruptions and interruptions. This is the amazing thing because Israel always maintained a roller coaster type of relationship with God. They were on the mountain with him. They loved him. They served him. And then now you see him in the valley. They're they're distancing themselves from God. And so it's up and down, up and down, up and down. Here's the thing. God never, in spite of all of that, what was going on, God never withdrew a prophet. He never withdrew the word. And so while all of this was happening, God still maintained a prophet in place, reminding them that the Messiah was coming. Great prophecies like this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And look at this the Prince of Peace. In my Bible, I have that highlighted, the Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. But again, I love these words at the end of verse six, the prince of peace. I want you to think about that for the next few moments, because number three in your outline today, we're talking about Jesus is the gift of peace. The Messiah is the gift of peace. And now I want us to read our beloved Christmas story that we're all so very familiar with. We put a pause on these Old Testament beauties just for a moment. And I want you to look at this classic passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2. And I want to read for you verses 1 through 14. My children, when they were growing up, learned these particular Scriptures by heart. They could quote them. And probably one of the greatest things that I enjoyed at the Christmas season was hearing my children and then grandchildren being able to quote verbatimly these precious scriptures, but these prophecies were fulfilled patiently, reverently, respectfully. Follow along with me. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and I read through verse 14. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. And I underline this word again in my Bible, peace goodwill toward men. I call your attention to the word peace in verse 14 because the Hebrew word, and we've been looking at the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Because the Messiah has come, the promised one from Genesis 3.15, the one whom the prophets spoke about repetitiously The Messiah has come because he went to the cross, because he shed his blood, God's own blood, because God raised him from the dead. Listen carefully. We have the gift of peace. In fact, Romans chapter 5, verse number 1, the scripture says, Therefore, being justified by faith we have peace with God. We will never have peace with God without being born again. We will always have to live with enmity with God, separation from God. For the wages of sin is death. That's talking about separation. We will never have fellowship. We will never have a relationship. We will never have peace with God being separated from him. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm enjoying the Christmas songs that you're leading, Brother David, in morning worship. I love to sing the fun songs, and I love to sing the songs with meaning. I love to sing the songs with doctrine. Silent Night is probably one of the best Christmas carols of all time. It's impacted with doctrine. I was witnessing to somebody the other day. I had them in my office. It hadn't been too long ago, just a couple of weeks ago. And I was presenting the gospel. And I, I was not convinced that the individual was born again. It made a declaration of being born again, but I, I, did, I did not feel that, and I'm not the judge. I'm not the Holy Spirit. There's not a person on this earth that ever will have to answer to me. We answer to God. But there is scriptures that admonishes us to try the spirits and see if they be of God. There, there are scriptures that teach us in different applications, you shall know them by the fruits. But it was just the manner of conversation, it was the manner of attitude, it was the manner of demeanor that I wasn't sure that this person was saved. And I asked them, in fact, I made the appointment. I said, Would you come see me, talk to me? I don't believe you're saved. Oh, yes, I am saved. I said, well, how do you know you're saved? This happened just a few weeks ago in my office. I said, well, how do you know that you're saved? Well, because Jesus has always been with me. Well, the truth of the matter is this. We have just read the scriptures this morning that indeed Jesus has been from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus has always been. Where did God come from? Anywhere he wanted to come from, he's God. But the truth of the matter is this, nobody made God. God has always been. That's hard for us to wrap our finite minds around, but he's always been. How do you know? Because the Bible says so. And I began to talk to this young man and everything that he was saying was contradictory to the, to the word of God. But he was, he kept saying, oh, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I, I said, sir, I don't believe you're saved. You say, were well, you telling a man he's not saved? I, I did. I said, sir, you cannot be. How do you know I'm not saved? Well, I said, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was the virgin born son of God? He said, well, that, that I don't believe. So, the thing is this, we I, I think I got it right pretty much in my surmising, but right off the bat with the very first question. He said, now, now that I don't believe it. And then I said, well, then if Jesus Christ, if God is my witness, this happened just a few weeks. I said, if Jesus was not virgin born, then who was his father? And he said, Yeah, I got to think about that. <laughs> and then he said if Jesus is the only way then that strike too. Because the Bible does not present it in the manner of doubt. I I cannot tell anybody if Jesus is the, listen, I can tell you, I know he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the, the scripture never presents Jesus in the manner of doubt. And he said to me, then, how could God be a God of love and send anybody to hell? Strike three. The truth of the matter is this. God doesn't send anybody to hell. If a person dies and goes to hell, here's the reason why. Not because God sent you to hell. It's because you refused to receive the Messiah, the gift of peace. Look at the scripture again. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. You cannot go to heaven without Jesus. It's impossible. God doesn't send people to hell. People die and go to hell every day, but not because God is just on the throne saying, go to hell, go to hell, go to hell. That's not what he does. And then I shared the scripture with the young man. I said, sir, the, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. He said, well, he's always been with me. I said, we've been through this. The script, I said, let me ask you one more question. I said, the scripture says in Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock.'" If any man opened the door, I said, sir, Jesus is the door of our faith. Have you you opened the door? Have you opened your heart? Have you opened your life to Jesus for him to come in? Have you invited? But he's always been. We need to stop that. He's always been here, but he's not always been in you, sir. And let me ask, you say, well, preacher, are you so bold to say that? Listen, when you go to your doctor, don't you want your doctor to tell you the truth? I have one shot at this. And I said, if you have not asked the Lord to come into your heart, if you've not repented of your sins, confessed your sins, I said, sir, you're not saved. And he made one more statement. I said this. I said, Why are you being so stubborn about the gospel? Now I would advise none of you to witness like this. <laughs> Please don't. This is one instance you don't follow the pastor's example. But I said, sir, why are you being so stubborn about this? It's simple. Even a child can receive the Lord. I said, don't you want to be saved? Now, I'm not going to judge it. He took his hat off and said, yeah, let's do it. I prayed the prayer with him. He, He prayed it back to me. And I said, now, sir, did you really mean? Well, I wouldn't have done it if I, I if I didn't mean it. I wouldn't have done it. Okay. But I'm telling you, that's not how you respond to the gospel. That's not how you respond to the new birth. And I didn't leave that meeting with an ounce of faith that he had peace with God. The only thing, the scripture says this, being justified by faith, which means this, friend, you can pray the prayer a thousand times and never, ever really mean it. Therefore, not praying the prayer a thousand times, but being justified by faith, we have peace with God. This Christmas carol, Brother David, that I love so much, his silent night was so impacted with doctrine, which he couldn't get on the very very first question. But I love them, the ones that are impacted with truth and inspiration and doctrine. But this particular one, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And it was written by Henry Wadsworth back in 1863. And by the way, it was written in the middle of the Civil War. And the narrator in the poem writes in despair when hearing the bells by saying this. Just give thought just for a minute to these words. This is what he was moved and inspired to write. And in despair, I bowed my head. Keep in mind, in the middle of the Civil War. There is no peace on earth, I said, for fate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth and goodwill to men. But as the song goes on, the words get... A little better. The writer listens and he contemplates what bells symbolize and ends with the message of optimism and hope. And so he writes it like this Then ring the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead. That's good doctrine, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I'm so thankful the Messiah has come. And his Messiahship stands in full oneness with the Trinity. He's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He is the wonderful gift of salvation. And I want us to know, we, we don't have to be educated to know this. Do You know and I know that there is no peace on this earth today. You can, as our musicians come you can you can turn on any reasonable news broadcast and you can see the hysteria that's going on all over the world today The other night, I turned a particular station on, and I saw nothing but pandemonium people running into department stores and taking crowbars and hammers and breaking and smashing things and stealing stuff, setting buildings on fire. This politician is mad at this one. That one's mad at this one. They get mad at us. We get mad at them. Life is just turned upside down now. And all this commotion that's going on. Humanity has turned into piranhas. Barbaric piranhas. And there is no political answer to this. The only hope we have is the Messiah. When the trumpet of God sounds and the dead in Christ are raised first and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together and meet the Lord in the air. When that trumpet sounds, we visit with the Lord at the judgment seat and then the table of the Lord, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We come through the revelation and enter into His courts with praise and to... That temple mountain where Jesus takes his rightful place on the throne of David where he will rule and reign for 1,000 years. Friend, listen, this is the only time where we're ever going to know peace beyond the cross, peace beyond grace, peace beyond salvation. If you have Jesus Christ in your heart as your personal Savior, listen, you don't need me to try to convince you of that. If you know Jesus as your Savior, listen, the Word says, my sheep know me. You don't need an appointment in my office for me to convince you that you're saved and pray a prayer that you really don't want to pray. If you're saved, you have peace with God. If you're saved, listen. You, you can stand anywhere in life and go through any trouble and trial. And yes, it'll be hard. It'll be difficult. It'll be overwhelming. It'll be consuming. It'll be draining. It will be mind-boggling. You'll come to places where you have fears and doubts. But I will tell you, you can stand tall at the end of the day because you have peace with God. And then when it's time to cross Chilly Jordan, listen, you don't have to shake and cry and hysterically wonder what's going on. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. And then that day when we sing, when the saints go marching in, you can only have peace through Jesus and the Messiah. Brought peace, God's peace to this earth. Longing for the Savior, Amen. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at Buford Road Baptist